Yay, God. Yay, God. Okay, we're going to get right into this teaching. Um, I know that it's a long teaching, so I'm going to do my best. We'll see where we go tonight. I would like to go, go through the whole teaching, but we'll see how it goes. Um, I want to just give you a little preview. We're going to be doing four sessions, I believe, on prayer um, and praying effectively. I'm going to teach this one, and then next week I'm, I've got another section of this. And then Tom and Fran are each going to take a session on specific kinds of effective prayer. I think that this is going to be very practical and very powerful. This is not something that we have ever taught here. However, I'm going to, I'm going to um, give credit to the teacher that, um, that this, the, a lot of this has come from, and it's Andrew Walmack. The name of the book, and it's audio, also an audio set of teachings, it's called A Better Way to Pray, same title. So if you want to get the book and just delve into it and read and study and the, look at the scriptures, of course, that are the foundation of the book, um, I think you'll really be blessed. I know I have been tremendously blessed. So would you open your Bibles with me? Ken, are you ready to start, honey? Okay, I didn't give you a good starting. Sorry about that. Matthew chapter 6. When Jesus was walking on this earth in the form of a man, he taught about prayer. Um, And this is one of those places where he was teaching on prayer, Matthew chapter 6. When he was in this public ministry, he had to undo a lot of wrong teaching that the religious leaders had kind of worked up based on law or based on whatever, whatever they did in, in church, they had, they had wrong stuff that they were doing. And Jesus had to undo that wrong believing, that wrong understanding, before he could teach them what truly is prayer. So that's what I'm going to start with. This teaching is kind of divided into three big chunks. The first one is titled Questions About Prayer. And these questions kind of reveal misconceptions. They also kind of answer and clarify the misconceptions. The second part of the teaching is entitled Truths About Prayer, and that's where we're going to get into the meat of what prayer truly is. And then the third section is entitled Effective Praying. Two, and there's only two steps. It's really simple. Two steps to effective prayer and what biblically backs up those two steps of effective prayer. So that's what I'd like to get to tonight if we can possibly do it. So God, I'm going to go through these questions. And I'm going to answer them pretty quickly. Again, you can go to the Word and study them out on your own as well. The first question, are your motives right when you pray? In Matthew 6, verse 5, it says in my, in my Bible, the heading is the model prayer. And this is what he says before he teaches the model prayer, the Our Father. Jesus says in verse 5, And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. So the question is, are your motives right? Are you praying for the right reason? In this, in this, in this um, little piece of scripture, it's, they're, basically they're praying to be seen. They're praying because they want to be puffed up. They want to exalt themselves. And we know that the Bible says, humble yourself and you'll be exalted. Exalt yourself and you'll be humbled. So that was a wrong motive. Um, when we pray, the, the, the motive, the greatest motive is to be motivated by love. Motivated by love for God. Motivated by love of his people motivated by love of yourself and what he's put in you, the amazing gifts that he's put in you, the amazing um, treasure that he has placed in you and in others. So is your prayer motivated by love? Are you honoring him? Are you honoring him? Are you believing him? Are you trusting him? Or in your prayer, is it offense? Because we can do that even in prayer. We can speak out of offense because we're frustrated or disappointed or angry. So where are you in that prayer? In James 4, 
I'm going to open my Bible there. Verse 3, and actually I'm going to back up just a little bit. This is not all on the screen. I'm going to read a little chunk of the previous verse. Sorry about that. James chapter 4. You do not have because you do not ask. Or you do ask God and yet fail to receive because you ask with wrong purpose and evil selfish motives. So if your attitude is wrong, you're praying wrong. There is effective ways to pray. There's ineffective ways to pray. And if your motive is wrong, then there's a problem. Second question. Do you feel condemnation if you can't fit prayer into your day? Now, this is an interesting question. I'm going to kind of go all around this question. So in Matthew chapter 6, again, we might as well stay there. I'll read the other scriptures from my sheet because we're going to keep going back to Matthew 6. Verse it says, but you, when you pray, go into your room and when you shut your door, pray to your father who is in the secret place and your father who sees you in secret will reward, will reward you openly. So that's kind of the opposite of the previous scripture where the hypocrites were praying loud and long prayers so that everybody could see them. And the scripture says, go into that secret place. Now, we have taught, I have taught that it's really a powerful time to have that alone time with God, that solitary time with God. And if you can do that, it's awesome. Take advantage of it. If you can craft your day so that you can carve out time alone with God, do it. But I want to tell you something that I experienced a little bit ago, and it really impacted me. We went to visit Chad and Kay a couple months ago. And they have two little babies now. Of, uh, she's nine months old now and then a two-year-old. And I was there for ten days. And I couldn't do it. I couldn't find time alone to have my God time. I couldn't do it. And when I came home, I was like, had this like hunger stirring in me. Like, God, I need some time alone with you. But what I realized is that that's what Kay and Chad live in every day. They're young parents. They've got little kids. They don't sleep as, you know, they need to sleep when their kids are sleeping so that they can get up and take care of them the next day. And when they're napping during the day, they have to do everything else that needs done. I mean, there's a whole lot to do with little ones. So this is the point I want to make. It's great if you can have that special alone time. But prayer, we're going to hear this later, prayer is communing with God Prayer is fellowshipping with God. And we can do that many, many ways throughout our day. So the point I want you to make is that do not feel condemned or condemnation if you can't schedule an hour of prayer in your day. Okay, that's the first part. Be creative. Find ways to, com- find ways to, to commune with him through the day. Pray in your car when you're driving. Pray when you're in the shower. There's no little kids in there. Pray when you're in the bathroom. God doesn't care. You can find ways to commune with God throughout your day. He doesn't want you to just take a few minutes at the beginning and then forget about him the rest of the day. He wants you to commune with him through the day. So that's the first part of my, my um, whatever you want to call it, revelation. I just felt really, I thought, I don't want my daughter-in-law to be condemned. She's a beautiful mother. And she loves God with all her heart. The second part of it is, and somebody shared this with me. Debbie, it was actually at your um, small group meeting that I was at a couple weeks ago. And this person shared that a husband and a wife, and this could probably happen in other relationships too, but I'm thinking a lot of this issue of young parents. A husband and a wife can give each other time to have a long time with God. And it doesn't have to be an hour. I'm just throwing that number out there. It, doesn't, it could be 15 minutes. So when the husband comes home from work or the wife comes home from work, the husband or the wife can say to the other one, you go, take 15 minutes alone, wherever, in the bedroom, wherever, just go and spend time with God. Have your alone time with God. I'll be here for 15 minutes. And then reverse it. Have the other spouse say, okay, it's your turn. Go have your 
private time with God. I'll take care of the kids. We need to do that for one another in Christian marriages, and we can do that for one another, but we need to purpose to do it. So the bottom line here is purpose to commune with God. Make it happen. We can do that. We can be creative. I am so blessed to be able to set my alarm and get up in the morning and have my alone time with God, and it's awesome. But if that is something that just isn't doable, you need your sleep. And if it's not doable to to have that time in the morning before work or whatever, make it happen another way. And don't be in condemnation about it. The third question, are you praying enough? Matthew 6, verse 7 says, And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathens do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Prayer doesn't need to have a lot of words. It doesn't need to be long. It doesn't need to be hours long. You don't need to say, okay, if I don't pray for an hour, I'm not, I'm not good enough. Uh-uh. When Jesus prayed, his prayers were really short. Peace, be still. <laughs> Lazarus, come forth. <laughs> we did a study in Pastor Tim's meeting on Tuesdays, and we literally went through all of the Gospels and looked at the red letters, Jesus' words, and all of his prayers. And the longest one was like seven words. We pray lots of words, and I do too, and I do too. And, of course, persistence in prayer is important. We're going to talk about that in a second. But don't think that you have to have lots and lots of words. You know, the number of words certainly doesn't matter. In fact, the Scripture says the vain repetitions don't do anything. Next question. This is a big one. Put a star by this one. Are you praying the problem or the solution. We're going to read Matthew 6, verse 8. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. That's what you read to me, Patty, before we started. Father God knows what you need. He knows what your situation is. It's not necessary to give Him a great big detailed explanation of what's going on with you. He knows it. When we do that, when we, in our prayer time, give God this huge story of everything that's going wrong, we're energizing the problem. We're speaking the problem. We're magnifying the problem in our prayer. The best thing to do is to to magnify the solution, to pray the solution What is it that you know is God's solution according to his word? If you're fighting in your body and you need healing, that's the solution. Healed. If you are in need of provision and you've got all this stuff going on with jobs or lack of jobs or whatever it is, the solution is provision because that's who he's the God of provision. So whatever it is that you need, pray the solution. Pray the solution, not all of the problem. God, God knows your problem. He knows the solution, too. But when you pray the solution, what you're doing is you're building yourself up. You are anchoring your faith. You're keeping it secure. You are calming the fear or the anxiety or the the doubt, whatever it is. You're calming it as you pray the solution. So... Think about it while you're in prayer. Are you praying problem, 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 problem? Or are you praying the solution? The next question. Do you feel you have to be in a heightened emotional state in order to pray fervently? In James chapter 5, it talks about the fervent prayer of a righteous man. The fervent effectual prayer of a righteous man avails much. So in order to pray that fervent prayer, you have to be in a heightened state of emotional, um, you know, an emotional state. No, no. Now, it's, that happens? Absolutely, that happens where you have that, that feeling of the presence of God, and it's awesome. But you don't have to feel it. God wants us to respond to him by faith. Faith means that you don't have senses that, that show you that. You're praying with, beyond the senses realm. You're, believe, you're praying in belief fully persuaded of God and what he's done or doing for you. So 
that whole feeling thing gets in the way of thinking that you're praying effectively. I want to give you an, an example of, of a marriage. In a marriage, there is so many levels of, of togetherness. And one of those levels that's really important is intimacy. It's a huge part of marriage. It's a beautiful part of marriage. We all, we all know that. Making love with your spouse is huge and it's important. But that's not all that marriage is about. There's a whole lot more. And those other parts of marriage are rich. The times that you just share with one another what's going on in your lives. The times when you have fun together and you just enjoy one another. Ken and I just got a motorcycle last spring. And we love riding motorcycle together. It's just fun. We have fun together. You know, just the things that we do where we're together. Sometimes we're together and we don't say a word. You know, we'll be sitting in the, in the living room. We don't have TV on very often, so it'll be quiet. Sometimes we'll have some instrumental music on. Sometimes we're reading a book. Sometimes we're reading the words. Sometimes we're doing Facebook. But we're just there together. And it just feels good. In the summertime, we love our cottage. You know, we just hang out on the deck. We go for kayak rides. You know, we just like to just be together. God's the same way. He wants to just be with us in every part of our life. Prayer, if we think it always has to be like the royal bedchamber, <laughs> we're missing out. We're missing out. And we can actually, I want to make sure I say this right, we can miss out on who the, on, on who the Lord is by making your relationship with him too intense. You miss out on a whole bunch of good stuff. If you think you have to have this heightened state of emotional whatever during prayer, you do not need that. That is not what prayer is all about. Next question, and this is another big one. What is persistence in prayer? Persistence in prayer. Um, we're going to look at two scriptures right now. The first one is, they're both in Luke. first one is Luke 11. These are both parables that Jesus shared to teach about persistence in prayer. In Luke 11, this is another gospel account of when Jesus teaches the model prayer. We just looked at the one in Matthew. This is the one in um, Luke. Um, and we're going to start with verse 5. Jesus said to them, Which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me on his journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me. The door is now shut. My children are in bed with me. I cannot arise and give it to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. Hmm. That sounds like you better be persistent. You better ask and ask and ask and act for God to give you what you want. No, that's the wrong interpretation. This is not a comparison of this is what it's like when you pray. It's not a comparison. It's a contrast. There's a big difference. This isn't comparing this little parable to how we should pray. It's contrasting how we should pray. Let me just, before I go on to the next part of the scripture, if I went to one of my really good friends, in the middle of the night with a need. What do you think they'd do? Yeah. If I called Fran, if I called Kathy, if I called anybody here on this ministry team, they would answer my call. We give out those phone numbers for a reason. We want you to call. And we will either answer or if we sometimes, depending on where the phone is, if it's not by me in the middle of the night, if I see the text... I'll call you as soon as I see it. We want you to call. That's what a good friend is. This isn't a good friend who says, I'm not going to open the door. My kids are in bed. Just go away. And then here's evidence that it's a contrast. Look at what it says next. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. 
And to him who knocks, it will be opened. And then it gives more contrast. If a son asks for bread from his father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? Would a good dad do that? Uh Uh-uh. If you then, being evil, if you then, being human, would give good gifts to your children, how much more will God give good gifts? And it talks specifically about this awesome gift called the Holy Spirit. But how much more will God give good gifts to those who ask him? This whole thing about persistence in prayer isn't just asking. Persistence in prayer is communing. Prayer is communing. So when we're persistent in prayer, it's not just, I'm going to ask and ask and ask. In fact, that's not what we do. We're going to talk about that in a minute. It's communing with him. It's persistence in faith. Persistence in faith is persistence in believing God at his, at his, at his word. Persistence in believing that what he says is true. Persistence in knowing the finished work of the cross. That's persistence in faith. Persistence is not begging. We don't have to beg. It's already ours. We don't even have to ask. It's already done. It's already been given to us if we're believers. It's already been given. Now, we may not have received it. We may not know it's ours. We may not have taken that gift and opened it. But it's been given. The next parable is Luke 18, starting with verse 1. Then he spoke a parable to them. That men ought always to pray and not lose heart. Hmm, he's talking about praying and not losing heart. And this is what he said. There was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard man, Yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. (laughs) Like, what a pain in the neck. What a squeaky wheel. I'm just going to give it to her. So this unjust judge, you know, he wasn't going to do help this lady for whatever reason. But because she kept asking, because she kept whatever, he said, okay, 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 okay. Now listen to to the contrast. Okay, I have to find where I'm at again. Then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. I love that part. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? In my Amplified, it says, will he really find persistence of faith on the earth? We're talking about persistent prayer. So God's not like that unjust judge. He's not like that. You don't have to beg God. You don't have to ask him over and over again. The problem isn't his willingness, his willingness or his ability to give. That's not the problem. Rather, it's in our ability to believe and receive. He's done his part. He's done his part. It's not us waiting on him. It's him waiting on us to believe it and receive it. So this persistence, this persistence in prayer, the purpose of this persistence is to come to know his promises. To know them. And when I say no, you see I'm pointing right here. It's not a here thing. It's not a head thing. It's a heart thing. And as you declare his word, as you meditate on his word, as you see his truths in the word, and hear his still small voice, and see the outpouring of his faithfulness in your life, that happens. You come to know it. You come to know it. You come to know his love. 
You come to know his faithfulness. All this happens during persistence of prayer. During that persistence of prayer, as you're coming to know him and coming to know him and coming to know him, your faith, you're just releasing it more and more and more. And fear is being calmed. Remember, they're opposite forces. So fear is being extinguished. You're putting out the fire of fear. Your faith is getting more and more secure. So persistence in prayer is a good thing. It's not begging. It's not asking the same thing over and over. If anything, I would say it's thanking God over and over and over. Yeah. Next question. Who should I pray to? This is John 16. John 16, verses 23 and 24. And in that day, you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Bottom line, we pray to the Father in the name of Jesus. We pray to Father. You may call Father, Father. You may call him Father God. You may call him Abba. You may call him Papa, Daddy, whatever you call him. But you're praying to Father. In the name of Jesus. Now, whenever it says in the name of Jesus in the Bible, or it talks, because there's several scriptures where it says pray to the Father in the name of Jesus. What we are doing, his name, Jesus, holds all that he is. It presents who he is. Jesus is salvation, victory, deliverance. Jesus is healer, peace, provider. His name is all that he is. So when we pray in his name, we are receiving the fullness of who he is and what he paid for that's already done. We're praying to the Father. And the Bible says to pray in the name of Jesus. And you'll hear us pray that way as we pray for you. Now, in the Old Testament, there was a need for mediators. Like Moses, like Abraham. The purpose of a mediator is to stand in between and and reconcile two opposing parties. So Moses and Abraham would stand with God on one side and the people on the other. And they were like this go-between. God would talk to Moses, Moses would talk to the people. The people would talk to Moses, Moses would talk to God. There was a mediator. But in the New Testament, there's no more need for a mediator. Well, there is one, and that's Jesus. Only Jesus, only Jesus. And I'm going to read you the scripture. It's 1 Timothy 2.5. For there is only one God and only one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. So Jesus is the only, only one that stands between Father God and mankind. Now, in the past, the reason there had to be a mediator was because sin was in the way. There was a barrier. But there's no more barrier. Sin is, the barrier's gone. Jesus destroyed the barrier. So we can go directly to the Father in the name of Jesus. Now, I'm just going to be really blunt right here, and I'm going to tell you what I did, and probably a lot of you Maybe are still doing this. Maybe you have in the past. And that is to pray to other people besides the Father. I've prayed to saints. I have prayed to Mary. I have prayed to my grandma, (laughs) to my Aunt Irma, to all those people who went to heaven and I love so much. I have literally said, Grandma, will you go to, to, and I even said, I kind of went down the line. Grandma, will you go talk to Mary so that Mary can talk to Father God? That's how I used to pray. I didn't realize, I didn't realize that I don't need to go anywhere except right to God. In fact, that's how I must pray. That's how I pray effectively to the Father. And we've done it. Probably all of us have done that. You know, anybody that's in heaven, I'm going to pray to them and ask them to go to Father God. You know, I, I... I'm, I'm, and this is, this might be some of you or some of me that I used to say, I'm not worthy, so I'm just going to go to this person and they'll go for me. No. 
Father God wants us to come directly to him, just like Kent wants his kids to come to him. So that was just a bunch of really quick little snippets of questions that I wanted to clarify. Now I want to talk about two or three truths. The first truth is that prayer is simply communion with God. When we pray, when we talk to God, we're communing with him. This is what God wants. This is so easy for me to understand. Just because I'm a mama. God wants to hang out with us. He wants to pour his love on us. He has made all the provisions that we need, and he wants us to take advantage of them. He just wants to pour out his love upon us. He wants to spend time with us just the way we want to with our own kids. In Hebrews 4.16, let's go there. Hebrews 4.16. I love this scripture. It says, Let us then fearlessly and confidently and boldly draw near to the throne of grace, the throne of God's unmerited favor to us sinners, that we may receive mercy for our failures and find grace to help in good time for every need, appropriate help and well-timed help coming just when we need it. God says, come before my throne. Come boldly. I want my children to come to me boldly and confidently. I don't want them to be afraid to come to me. Come boldly and confidently before the throne of grace. Come, Father God says, come to me. And then it says two things. It says to to receive mercy and find grace. Mercy is when we don't get what we deserve. So you might go to God. You might be afraid to go to God. Let's, let me reverse this. You might be afraid to go to God if you have messed up big time. You've just sinned big. I don't know what big sin is, but you've done it. And you're like, oh, I can't go to God. He's so good and I'm so bad. This scripture says, come. Just like we want our kids to come when they mess up. Come to me. And he says, you will receive mercy. That means you don't get what you deserve. And the reason is because Jesus got what we deserved. Jesus canceled out any sin once and for all. You don't need to be afraid to go to Father God. And the second part of that says that we have grace. We receive mercy and we find grace. Grace is when we get what we don't deserve. It says right here specifically, it says we get help for everything we need, right when we need it. We get what we don't deserve. We get healing. We get provision. We get help. We get peace. Whatever it is that we need, it's for us. We can go immediately, directly, Always before the throne of grace. There's nothing separating us. I'm just going to give you a scripture reference right now. I'm not going to go there, but write down Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 22. In that section of scripture that I just gave you, it talks about the old covenant and the new covenant. And it talks about the old covenant where there was a separation. And we couldn't go before God because sin was in the way. And then it talks about the veil being torn in the Holy of Holies, in the, in the um, temple, in the old temple. There was a place that was the holy place. And then there was this thick, huge veil. And on the other side of that, there was a place called the Holy of Holies. And the only one that could go there was the high priest, one man. And he could only go once a year. And even then, there was all kinds of things that he had to do to, because otherwise he would die. Because of being in the presence of God. When Jesus died, that veil, at the moment Jesus died, that veil in the temple between the holy place and the Holy of Holies tore in half from top to bottom like a sign that from heaven to earth the veil was torn 
And we can now have free access to the throne of grace. We can go directly into the most holy place, the holy of holies before the throne of grace. And that's what prayer is. What a precious gift to go into that place. So there's just a bunch of little things here that prayer is. Prayer is communion with God. It's fellowshipping with him. It's being intimate, having relationship with him. Prayer is conversation. And it's a dialogue. It's two ways. It's not a monologue, which is one way. Prayer is talking and listening. The next point, and this is a big one. We need to make the main thing the main thing when we pray. God is the main thing. So many times when we go into prayer, and I've done this too, everything that I'm speaking about, I've probably done all of it. But so many times we go with a lot of needs and a lot, or even, it might not even be our needs, but we have a lot of other people's needs. We have a list. Okay, got to pray for this, got to pray for this, got to pray for this. But the main thing should be him. The main thing is worshiping him, loving him, fellowshipping with him. Prayer is primarily for loving God, not for getting your needs met. In Revelation 4.11, the scripture says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. We were created. We are part of creation. We were created for his pleasure. So here's a switch. Change your prayer focus from getting your needs met to loving and worshiping God. Switch your focus from getting needs met. And they may not be your needs. You might be praying for others. But switch your focus from that to primarily loving God. And the next little part on your sheet has a blank in it. Minister to God. This month, Ken and I are um, really focusing on this. We're in a program called KDP, which stands for Kingdom Development Program. It's a, I won't go into detail. It's really cool, though. But this month, our focus is valuing his presence. That's our focus. We've been reading. We've been hearing audio teachings. We've just been taking time worshiping and just going deeper. And this is new to me. All since I've been saved and since we've been being birthed in this ministry of healing, my focus has really been ministering to people. And I love to minister to people. But God has shown me this in this new, this new revelation that my first ministry is to him and not people. Everything else comes. When you minister to him first, when you bless him, when you love him, when you worship him, your needs, your needs become less and less and less and less. You're, not, you're no longer um, magnifying your needs. You're magnifying him. And when you magnify him, your needs, watch them. They will be minimized and minimized and many times just be extinguished. But our first priority needs to be ministering to him. Now, here's another, probably a switch when we're thinking about our prayer time with God. According to this, this book, and according to, this is what I do naturally, and I didn't really realize what I was doing in prayer. The majority of our prayer time should be this ministering to God. So it talks about a prayer sandwich. It says, start by ministering to God. Start by worshiping, praising, loving on Him, and receiving His love. Two-way, prayer's two-way. And then in the middle, slide in your petitions, your needs. And when I slide in my needs, I don't have a list written down on paper. You can if you want, but what I do is I let God direct it. And what, who he puts on my heart or what he puts on my heart, that's what I, that's what I intercede for. 
and then close your prayer with the other side of the sandwich, which is ministering to God again. See what happens. Because what you're doing is you are encountering God when you're in prayer. You're fellowshipping with him. You're increasing your revelation of who he is. It's beautiful. It's just a, a beautiful experience. And, and I don't, you know, if it's 10 minutes or if it's 45 minutes, it doesn't matter. Just take that time to minister to him. Give him your needs. Minister to him again. Okay. Doing better than I thought I would. Okay. Next truth. <laughs> God, this is a big one. This is a big one that when I first started hearing this, it completely rocked my world. God doesn't move independent of people. Let me put it another way. God needs us. He needs us. He's done everything he's going to do. His work is completed. He has given believers authority and power. He has commissioned us to go out and preach the word, to lay hands, to heal the sick, to cleanse the lepers, to raise the dead, to cast out demons. He's given us the authority. We are his hands. We are his feet. We are his voice. He needs us. That one will probably have to sink in for a while. Let's read a scripture, a couple of scriptures. The first one is Matthew 10. This is one I just kind of quoted. Verse 7 and 8. And as you go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Oh, the kingdom means the king's domain. The king's domain. King Jesus' domain is right here, right now. We are the ones that bring that kingdom into manifestation. Not, not Cindy, but the Holy Spirit through Cindy. God through Cindy. He works through us. But he needs us to work through. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. He's called us to do that. There are many places in the scripture where it gives directives to us, where we have been commissioned to go out and to carry out his kingdom, to advance his kingdom on earth. The next scripture I want to show you is um, Romans 8.11. Thank you, Papa. Thank you, Lord. Romans 8.11, and this is what it says. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So what I really want to take from this scripture is that the same Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us and is active. It says that he will quicken our mortal bodies. That same Holy Spirit will work in us. The same resurrection power that raised Christ from the dead works through us, dwells in us, and works through us for us and for others. Remember, the Holy Spirit came that we might witness. The Holy Spirit came for power within and power upon, both for us and our needs and our spiritual growth, and upon us to witness and to heal the sick and to raise the dead and to preach the word and everything else that he gives us to do in your own sphere of influence wherever that is, wherever that is. You know, it might be in your workplace. It might be in your home. It might be, you know, out in the marketplace somewhere. But wherever it is, we are called to be those hands and those feet of God. We're called Christians. That word Christians literally means little Christs. Little Christ. And the word Christ is the anointed one and his anointing. It resides in us. And because Christ is in us, we are called. We are ready. We are prepared. We don't have to do it on our own. We couldn't do it on our own. As Pastor Tim says, I couldn't heal a fly. But with 
him in us. That's where the, that's where the, the, the power is. It's not us. Okay, next big idea, last big idea, last truth that I want to share about prayer before we go to the two steps. Prayer affects the spiritual realm before the natural realm. Turn with me to Mark 11. When we, when we do what we're going to talk about in those two steps to effective prayer, something happens in the spiritual realm. And many times... We don't see it instantaneously, but it is happening. Mark 11, starting with verse 12. Now, the next day, when they had come out from Bethany, he was hungry. It's talking about Jesus. And seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves, he went to see if perhaps he would find something on it. Now, in my Amplified, it makes a note, and it says, For in the fig tree, the fruit appears at the same time as the leaves. So the leaves were there. Jesus expected to find fruit. But when he went over there, there was no fruit. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. In response, Jesus said to it, Let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And his disciples heard it. I'm going to skip to verse 20. Now in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, remembering, said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. So Jesus spoke. Something happened in the spiritual realm, but it wasn't seen immediately. Then it was seen in the physical realm a short time later, the next day. God is a spirit, and he moves in the spiritual realm. It often takes a period of time for that to move from the spiritual realm into the physical world. There's simply more happening than we know. More happening than what we, we don't need to sense it. We're not going to, very often we won't sense it. Sometimes we do, but very often we don't sense it with our natural senses. But knowing that that's going on will increase your expectation. I prayed something happened, period. That's the way it works. When we release in the, in, with our words God's truth in the spiritual realm, it is completely done. We're drawing it into the physical realm. Mark 16:18 says something very similar. It declares, "They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover." Many times it takes time. Recovery is often a process. We love it when it happens right away, like those popcorn healings we saw the other day. But many times it is a process and it takes time. Many things govern how quickly it moves from the spiritual realm into the physical realm. My teaching next week is called um, Spiritual Laws That Govern Our Receiving or Our our Faith. Spiritual Laws That Govern Our Faith. We're going to look at the scripture and we're going to look at some of those spiritual laws that govern our faith. That's what we're going to do next week. It goes hand in hand with, with this. Okay. Now here is... Big bang for the buck. If I would have given you these two sentences at the beginning, you could have left. (laughs) Two steps to effective prayer. This has helped me so much. I shared this at the conference when we did the Q&A panel. Two steps. The first step to effective prayer. Begin by praising and magnifying God for what he's already done. Agree with him by decree, by declaration. Praise the Lord for what his word says he's already done. So the first step, I'm going to just rephrase that. The first step is to speak his promises, what, has, what his word says he's already done, and praise him for it and thank him for it. So if I'm praying for healing for somebody, I do this. I say, Father God, I thank you that by the stripes of Jesus we were healed. It's a done deal. Jesus, I thank you. You took those stripes on your holy back. For us, I thank you, Jesus, that you took anxiety into your body so Mikey doesn't need to take it. You took the crown of thorns on your head and the mental anguish. So, Mikey, it's not yours anymore. Whoever it is you're praying for. Speak the finished work of the cross, what it's already done, and praise God for it. I don't say, oh, Father God, please heal Mikey's anxiety. Don't need to do that. You're praising God for the work that's already done. And you can be specific. 
If it's your back issue, say, Jesus, I thank you. That was part of what you did. You took that back thing into you. I was praying for Kent this morning because he's fighting the really yucky respiratory thing, so stay away from him. (laughs) And I was praying for him, and I said, Jesus, you took bronchial stuff into your body. You took a headache into your body. You took, and I don't remember what else. He had a whole list of things. You took all that into your body. Period. It's done. It's fixed. It's over with. Thank you for doing it. We receive it in Jesus' name. So the first thing you do is thank God for what he's already done. That's the first step. Second step, speak to the problem and tell it to go away. Speak to the problem. Speak to the cold. Speak to the headache. Tell it to go. Whatever you know your body needs, speak to it. If you know specifically, maybe... um, maybe uh, your back is out of alignment. Maybe you have crushed discs like that man did. Speak to the discs. Say, mm-mm. I speak to my back. I speak to back. Back, grow discs. Back, if there's no cushion in there, grow some cushion in there. Whatever you know what your body needs, speak to it. I'm going to show you that in Scripture. Would you turn with me to Mark 11, verses 22 through 24. So Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God, for assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Okay, so Jesus says, speak to the mountain. That's prayer. That's prayer. Speaking to the mountain is prayer. Regardless, and here's the key, regardless of what you see manifest or not immediately, believe that you received when you prayed. So when you pray that two-part prayer that I just talked about, and you thank God for what he's already done, and then you speak to the body, believe that you've already received it. At the end of the scripture, it says, Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, Believe that you receive them. And that word receive actually means believe that you have taken them. And you will have them. Just because something is in the unseen realm doesn't mean it's non-existent. Remember, it starts in the spiritual and then it goes into the physical. And this is the last scripture. Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. I want to talk about the second half of the scripture. Faith is evidence of things not seen. Faith is the evidence, the proof. Faith is the proof. Faith is the confirmation of things you haven't seen yet in the natural realm. The example I used this weekend when I was teaching is it's like a a really dark, heavy, black clouded sky and when you see that really dark sometimes a greenish ucky looking sky it is a sign of rain it's a sign of a storm it's evidence the cloud is evidence of the coming storm or the coming rain but not only is it evidence it also carries the rain and then the rain is manifest the rain falls out faith is like that cloud faith is the evidence of the manifestation. Faith is the evidence of that thing you're believing for. Faith, being fully persuaded of God's word, being fully persuaded of his truth, is the proof, even before you see it, of that thing that you're believing for, and it actually carries it. Your faith carries that, that object of your faith. And delivers it. Just like the cloud carries the rain. Now, just a review of a couple things. The first is that the spiritual world is the parent force. That comes first. As we speak, you're not, you don't always see the manifestation right away. But it is happening in the spiritual realm. And know that it is. Trust that it is. 
The second piece I want to say is that faith is discernible. You probably would agree with me that there's something in you that knows when you are in complete, strong faith. You have the faith of Jesus in you already. But how much of that you're drawing on is the question. So that first step of the prayer, there's two steps. The first step is declaring God's word, thanking him for what he's already done. Stay with number one until you discern that faith rise up in you. You'll feel a strength arise. You'll feel um, uh, an assertiveness rise up in you. You might get a little louder. I do. <laughs> doesn't have to be loud, but I tend to do that. Because I'm just like, this is, this is it. Period, God. This is your word. Period. And when that rises up in you, then do number two and speak to the mountain. Then do the second part. When that faith is discerned. Take that faith and speak. Keep praying until you experience manifestation. And this is where the perseverance comes in. It can mean the difference between receiving or not receiving. We really did a lot of that this weekend. We didn't let it go. That woman with carpal tunnel, when she came up, I sensed that her faith was not very strong. I sensed it. And when I started praying for her, it was like I I said in me, was probably here at the beginning, but then the faith was discerned as I prayed. I'm not leaving until it's done. I'm not stopping until it's done. And it and it was done. Now I had to get Yvonne over there because I kept praying in my faith. I, I needed somebody there with me. And that's okay. And I knew it. I knew it. And it was completely done. But there was perseverance in prayer. It is not wrong. It is not um I guess I don't know how to say that, but it's okay to keep praying. It's okay. It doesn't mean you're not in faith. It just means you need a little more time to build that faith up and receive. Build that faith up and, and, and receive. And again, it starts in the spiritual realm, and then it comes into the physical realm. And it doesn't always happen immediately, but that doesn't mean it's not done. You might not see it, but that doesn't mean it's not done. And the last piece here, the prayer of faith is activated in the spiritual realm. So get the attitude that God is faithful and he's already met your need before you ever even had it. Get it in your head and your heart that God's supply is always greater than your need. And I'm going to close with this one last story. This was amazing. There was a woman there this weekend Oh, you guys remember her, Ginger. <laughs> remember Ginger? Ginger really, really, really came with a, just a down countenance, just a, a deeply uh, just filled with oppression and sadness. And, and many of us went up to her because you could just see it all over her. And um, she did this to all of us. As soon as we would go talk to her, she would get in her wallet and she would pull out a piece of yellow paper that was one of those legal pad size sheets. And on one side was all of her diagnosis. And on the other side was all of her medicines. Now, I know that she had that there for a medical reason, because if anything were to happen, she needed to have something to give to her doctor to say what, what medicine she was on. I, I realize that. But I also knew that she had bought such a huge, huge, huge lie. And the first thing that I said, and I know it was Holy Spirit, I just got overwhelmed with compassion. I looked at that sheet of paper and I said, God is so much bigger than everything on here put together. He is so much bigger. And so I, I, you know, we got busy doing another session, so I gave her her piece of paper back. We'd all talked about it. We'd all been looking and watching this woman all weekend. And one of the last sessions, one of the last sessions on Saturday, I went to her before the session. I said, Ginger, can you give me that piece of paper? (laughs) And so she gave it to me. I said, I want to make a copy of it, because I knew that I couldn't take her paper from her. I wanted to, but I I thought I probably shouldn't. So I took her piece of paper, I went and made a copy of it, and then I went back. I didn't really quite know what I was going to do with it. (laughs) Yeah, Fran's laughing. She can't believe what I did with it. So um, (laughs) so, (laughs) she's funny when she laughs. She laughs a lot, by the way. So, so... I don't remember exactly how we got into this teaching, but or, uh, how the teaching led into this. But at the end of the teaching, I said, Ginger, will you hand me that piece of paper? Or Actually, I had it still. So I went and got it, and I said, God's so much bigger than this. 
God is so much bigger than this. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to take this piece of paper, and I've told the, the worship team, I said, find a really loud, crazy praise song all about Jesus. And so they put on the song, and I said, okay, everybody, come on up here. We're going to dance on this thing with Ginger, for Ginger. We're just going to dance on this thing. We're going to put it under our feet because that's where it is. It's already been defeated. And so we just put on this music, and we just got crazy. We just got crazy, and we just danced all over this thing, and it was just mangled by the time we were done with it. And other people, I said, if you want to put, bring your stuff up, we'll dance on yours too. You can dance on it. So people were up there, and we were just praising and worshiping the bigness of God. He is more than enough for anything that we have need of. And at the very end, we all, all our team came together and prayed over this woman. And Lisa, our Lisa, said at the very end, she says, I have one more thing. God's really been moving on my heart. She picked up that piece of paper that was all kind of mangled, picked up that piece of paper, and she said, this is under God's feet. We know this. But Ginger, you're the one that needs to put it under your feet. You're the one that needs to make the choice to believe God at his word. And she handed that piece of paper right to her, and she said, what do you want to do with it? And let me tell you, she put that thing down and danced on it so fast. (laughs) Amen. I mean, she definitely had degrees of healing throughout the weekend. She came in one session with a level 10 pain in her ankle, and with, with persistence and prayer, it went down to a zero. She had a different countenance. She um, was walking more upright, you know, with, with just looking at people more by the end of the session, and we're believing that there was something stirred in here, a revival in her heart to receive God's fullness. Amen. Amen.